Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the PG Show, where we talk about all things college football. And today, we have to talk about week one and all the games that have happened, the results of those games, what I think some of these teams are going to look like going into the rest of the season, and much more. But before we do that, go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button. Let me know what you guys are thinking down in the comments below. What was your most favorite game from the week one college football slate? Additionally, if you guys are listening to a podcast on any of the podcast platforms, I am on Apple, Google, and Spotify, the PG show all together. Go ahead, find me on there. Give me five stars. Leave a review. Go ahead and follow me. Help me grow the podcast channel so that we can continue to put out great content and bring on people for you. Okay, first a game that we got to talk about on this slate is Ohio State versus Notre Dame. And Ohio State won this game 21 to 10, but there's a lot to talk about and break down because this was a premier matchup in week one that you would expect to have in the college football playoffs. And there's a lot of questions around, can Notre Dame compete with the best of the best? And we assume that Ohio State is the best of the best. And so Notre Dame got out to a hot start with that 54-yard pass from Buckner to Lorenzo Styles, But Ohio State collected themselves on that drive and was able to hold Notre Dame down to three points. And I think that's pretty important because there's two things here. One, we saw Notre Dame become explosive, especially at the quarterback position, which we necessarily haven't seen a lot of recently. And if this is something that Notre Dame is going to be able to put out as a product, then Notre Dame's got a bright future with Marcus Freeman Marcus Freeman, I, I, for some reason, I'm blanking if that's his name, at the helm as a first-year head coach. But I want to talk about some things that I've noticed about Ohio State in this game. First of, let's talk about Jim Knowles, right? He has improved this defense by tenfold as it resembles a lot of what we saw last year at Oklahoma State. Additionally, you saw the defense flying around and making adjustments. And the defensive line, the front seven, is something that Ohio State really has going for them. And I don't think we've seen this good of a defensive line from Ohio State probably since the Bosa years. Additionally, they just look elite and they look physical. They look like a team that could potentially go out there and compete with a Bama or a Georgia or whoever is in the playoffs at a defensive level. They look kind of what we've seen from Clemson over the past couple of years where they're going to have an offense, but they've also got a defense back there that can back up their offense. So their defense allowed 253 total yards, 177 passing yards, and 76 rushing yards. Those are just elite numbers playing an elite team like Notre Dame. Now, Something that we got to point out is that their offense did struggle a little bit more than what we would have expected from an Ohio State team in this game. Now, was that because Jackson Smith and Jigba left the game and the offense kind of looked rattled after that? Or is it because C.J. Stroud is having issues with 
those two safety looks. I don't know. However, they did grind out a huge win against an elite defense, which is what you need to do to be able to win in the playoffs and go to a national championship and win a national championship. So other than that, CJ Stroud was iffy, right? Picking back up from last season, his expectations are high. And there's a lot of questions to, did Notre Dame expose how to beat C.J. Stroud in that Ohio State offense. I don't think really we're going to have a whole lot to worry about with Ohio State in terms of can C.J. Stroud go out there and perform without Jackson Smith and Jigba because I've talked about it in the past, but they have a highly, highly recruited wide receiver in Emeka Egbuka, and they've got wide receivers up and down the depth chart that could realistically go anywhere and play for a lot of teams. And Ohio State's schedule isn't too hard this year. I mean, they've got to go Arkansas State and Toledo at home. You would expect Notre or Ohio State to be able to put up 60-plus points in those games. They play Wisconsin at home. You should be able to beat Wisconsin pretty handily, especially at home. You've got Rutgers at home. Now, the big thing to point out here is Ohio State has five straight home games. So I wonder if that's going to potentially play a factor when they have to go on the road to play Michigan State. But I don't think Michigan State's that good either. I think their biggest test is Michigan at home, who I actually have in the college football playoffs, I think they should be able to handily beat Penn State, especially with how they looked on Saturday, along with Iowa. I don't think those teams are going to be able to cause too much of trouble for Ohio State. But getting back to this game, there is a question for me that I have about Notre Dame. And the question I have about Notre Dame is, has Notre Dame found their quarterback of the future in Tyler Buckner? And Some of you guys might be scratching your head and going, what do you mean? He only threw for 177 yards. He didn't even have a touchdown pass. Okay, you're right. Coming out of high school, though, this kid was a four-star, top 75 player, number 11 quarterback in the 2021 class. And you guys got to remember, that 2021 class for the quarterbacks was elite. And so I think that he is going to give Notre Dame fans everything they want and maybe even a little bit more. This dude looks athletic, and he showed it in this game. He looks like he is an elite signal caller, and he's quick on his feet. One other thing is, we saw it in the first play of the game. He can throw the deep ball, and if you can throw the deep ball and be successful on it, you are going to be successful. I think Notre Dame's future is bright. I don't think they're getting to the playoffs this year, but I do think their future is bright, especially with the recruiting class that they have and the potential recruiting class that they can have. All right, guys. So I want to go ahead and I want to talk about Oklahoma football and a little bit about what we saw this past weekend. So I have had some time to sleep on it. So have you guys. And I just kind of want to break down Three key players that I saw on the defense that I think we should be excited about going into the season, but also three players on the offense that I think just shined and showed us that this team is going to be able to put up just the kind of production that they've been able to put up maybe over the past three or four years. 
So going into it, the first player I have to talk about is, in my terms, I think probably one of the best players on this defense, Billy Bowman. So one thing that I really noticed is he stood out from a lot of the other players on that defense just athletically. We saw him in the third quarter try to make that one-handed grab like he did in the practice or the scrimmage. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Chris, but I remember he tried I remember he made that interception and he tried to do it again in the third quarter. And yeah. when you see him do that, you see just the athleticism that Billy Bowman has. And when we think back to when he was recruited and just the hype around him, around his athleticism and what he could have possibly have brought to the table with his speed, we kind of got to see a little bit of a glimpse about that with Billy Bowman this week. And it also looked like he was able to adjust quickly to the coverages that needed to be made what do you think about it chris no i think billy bowman had a had a great day definitely it was kind of quiet for key so i'm 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 waiting for him to pop out but hell it's just the first game of the season but with billy bowman um here's an analogy for you uh pg and basketball when you have a really athletic team a really really athletic team that can they can go out there and just run the floor like no other and score a lot of points in transition right so you want to add organization, you want to add structure to it, but you also don't want to put a lot of limitations on those athletes because you don't want to put them in this box. So going back to Billy Bowman, that's what you're seeing him do or be allowed to do with this defense because now he's able to just be just act off a of sheer instinct. He's able to just show his athleticism, just be all around the ball. We saw glimpses of this last year. First game of the season, I was there, watched him against Tulane, and I saw it. He was all over the field. He was making plays. He was doing this. He was doing that. But it kind of just tapered off during the, uh, you know, during the season last year for obvious reasons. However, but to, you know, going back to now, you look at him during that game, man, it was, it was great to see him tackling. Uh, it was great to see him uh, have hands on the ball and just kind of, you know, be able to direct the defense and, and, and be there in those in those positions or whatnot. Because usually, you know, on those, those type of plays right there that you saw him where he was getting those tackles or where he was, you know, it was really 50-50 balls at that time because when they, when he's throwing, he's throwing in the traffic. Billy Bowman is right there. So you're you're hoping that he can he can kind of, you know, finish as far as getting some, you know, some some breakups soon as well but yeah i mean i thought he did pretty well yeah and one thing i want to point out that i think a lot of people forget is he was a three-sport athlete he played basketball he played football Mm -hmm. and he played track in high school so we know he's got the speed we've talked about it before like this man not only needs to be returning kicks needs to be returning punts as well but with playing basketball, you know, he has trained and he has learned how to have that type of vertical. So I believe we should expect to see things from him in that secondary. Like, I feel like kind of like what we saw from CD Lamb when he was here in terms of being able to have the jumps and the hops to be able to go up there and grab the ball. But instead of having it on the offense, you're going to have it on the defensive side, which I think is just special to have, especially when you have an athlete on the defense that has played basketball and then they're in the secondary. So I, I, I think he's going to be more physical at the uh, point of attack as well. So when you see him probably lined up against a guy like, you know, Quentin Johnson down there at TCU, you're going to see him be more physical and, and try to play the ball 
uh, an awful lot this year for sure. Um, another thing to talk about with Billy Bowman is that, hey, on the on the kickoff returns, I mean, hey, he looked pretty electric back there. So um, I think there was one where I thought he was going to pop it, but they, they caught up with him. But I will say special teams, I'm pretty excited about that. But seeing him with the ball – Everybody says it. I haven't seen that much of it. I saw some, you know, I saw it a lot in high school, but I was like, well, maybe he's just not that guy at this level. But looking, looking at him, you know, returning, uh, the, the, the kickoffs, I was like, Hey, man, he looks twitchy out there. He looks like, and he, he <laughs> looks like he got some speed. So I'm excited to see. I think he's going to get a touchdown this year off a kickoff return. Oh, he definitely might. He might even get a touchdown on the defensive side of the ball, too. He's definitely. Yeah. Under the Venables defense with Smitty, because this summer he definitely put on a lot of muscle. Uh, he definitely has the potential if he continues to grow at the rate that we feel like he can grow to go be, I think, a first or second rounder, in my opinion. He has that kind of potential. Just a matter of can he put it all together? Yeah. So the next player I want to get into, and this one is an as-advertised player, Reggie Grimes. We had heard a lot about him. There was a lot of excitement from these coaches and from just a lot of the people that were there at the scrimmages and at these practices. I got to see him, but we got to see it in full action. Now, again, it is UTEP, so you kind of have to take that into consideration Maybe their offensive line isn't as great as like an Oklahoma State or a West Virginia or even a Baylor going into conference play, but he still had two and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and three tackles, which from a guy on the defensive line, like that's really good production for one game. And you know, I think if Reggie Grimes can go out there and I, he doesn't have to get two and a half sacks a game, but even if he can get half a sack or one sack a game and go out there and get you three or five tackles, like you've got yourself potentially a first round guy right there. What'd you think of Reggie Grimes? Cause I'm not going to lie in the stadium uh, where I was sitting, a lot of people were talking about him. No, man, I've been bullish on uh, on Reggie Grimes. Uh, I mean, since he got on campus, that uh, everybody can see it. It's on record. I've said it plenty of times. A lot of people, everybody loves uh, Ethan Downs. No problems with that. But on the other hand, I think that Reggie Grimes is going to shine this season because I think one of the things that here's the thing with Venables and Roof and all of them, they're used to having these athletes. These freak athletes or these speedy athletes, these quick twitchy guys, right? They're used to putting them in positions where they can <clears throat> truly uh, excel. So, what a guy's like, what a guy like Grimes, what a guy like Stripling, what a guy like uh, um, uh, Ethan Downs. You know, one of the things uh, that you want to see them do this year is finish. Outside of Jalen Redmond, how many of our defensive linemen last year really finished whenever they got home? Well, Isaiah Thomas, obviously, and Benito. You can, you can, you know, go with those two. However, when you look at this year or whatnot, you're just wanting them to be able to say, hey, if you get home, finish, tackle, sacks. We need all of that. But, uh, Reggie Grimes, I think he has a, a really high ceiling. I think that, uh, I, I would say that he has first round written all over him if he can put it all together. However, it's kind of up to him how he wants to capitalize on his potential. But I think that with Todd Bates, with uh, with with Chavez, all of them out there, I 
I mean, I think the sky's the limit for for a guy like him, a guy like Ethan Downs as well. But Reggie Grimes definitely shined this game. He has something to prove, and I think he has a chip on his shoulder as well. He came in with a lot of hype, and I think that this defense fits him really well uh, as well. Yeah, so you actually mentioned Ethan Downs a lot there, and I thought this was an interesting statistic when I actually went back and I looked at it, and I look at what Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes' production was. So last year, Reggie Grimes only had two sacks. In this game, he had two and a half sacks. And again, I know people are going to point out it's UTEP. Well, we played Tulane last year. And we played a Western yeah. Carolina team. So I would have felt like between those two games, you should have at least been able to get two and a half sacks, right? Especially if you've got that talent. Additionally, Ethan Downs last year only had a half a sack recorded technically on the stats. This game, he already got one. Both of those players are already exceeding what they did last year in that statistical category. And if they keep up what they did, you know, in this game in terms of tackles, they're going to beat what they did last year in terms of a total tackle uh, statistic. So both of those guys are think are going to be uh, shining spots on the Sooner defense, but really for Reggie Grimes. And I mean, you can say this for any of those defensive linemen. One thing you saw, which I think is an improvement from the teams that we've had the previous years is, you know, they were applying a lot of pressure there. And when the quarterback left the pocket, they all started running towards the quarterback. And you especially saw those Reggie Grimes. He was chasing him all over the field. He might have not gotten to him every time, but he was chasing him all over the field, applying a lot of pressure. And that's something that, you know, when we go into the Big 12 play and you've got the quarterbacks that are going to be able to sling the ball everywhere, like JT Daniels and Spencer Sanders and, you know, even maybe Blake Shapin out Baylor, you know, that's something that we really are going to need from that defensive line. Guys that can go in there, apply that pressure and chase the quarterback down. No, I think I think um, it, it's really key that this front seven. I mean, I think the linebacker play and and the defensive line they have to be better than what they were last year. Not to say that we didn't have the production, but it you know it didn't pass the eye test. So you want you want this you want this defense at least this front seven to do both pass the eye test and have the same the production. Uh, I think one of the things to get into Big Twelve play, I think that it's going to be more uh, concise. I think a lot of those, uh, I mean, some of the people, the players that you named, Spencer Sanders, always a wild card, will always be a wild card. He's going to try to hurt you with his feet, especially this year. They don't really have a run game. Uh, when you look at K-State, can you stop the, 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 the threat of the run that is Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez? Because they're going to do a lot of gadgety type plays, right? Then you even look at a Baylor with Shapin. Now, supposedly Shapin is supposed to have that vertical game down that they want. However, you know, we watched him against OSU, and granted, it was a small sample size. Uh, it wasn't all that vertical. It was really intermediate, a lot of intermediate routes, right? But at the same time, you just want to be able to contain, get a lot of hurries, get a lot of sacks if you can. But you just want to finish. You want to tackle. You want to let. You want to let those those opposing uh, those offensive coordinators know, like, hey, look, it's going to be a test for you. If you want to beat us, you're going to have to try us uh, out in the secondary, and that may not work for you as well. Yeah, I will say this. I do think a lot of the Big 12 coaches and even some of the teams that we're going to have to go play later in the season looked at this defensive line this past weekend and go, yeah, we're going to have to game plan our running game around that defensive line because it's not going yeah. to be as easy as it's been in the past couple of years. Yeah, no, exactly. I agree. I agree with that.
Yeah, so the third player I had on this list, and man, I went back and forth on, hey, who's this going to be this third guy, right? And it's Danny Stutzman. And it's because we saw so much from him last year before he got hurt. I think there were these expectations mm-hmm. like Danny Stutzman's going to be a star. And coming out of high school, again, this is where I say it all the time. High stars don't mean everything. He was a three-star guy coming out of high school is what I think he was. Yeah, he, he was, And now he was recruited by a lot of SEC schools. Everybody wanted him. But again, stars don't mean everything, and it proves it here. Danny Stutzman last year, high production before he got hurt. This year in this game, he had nine total tackles. Six of those were his own. And, you know, he talked about, uh, if you guys went back and watched the interview that I had with Danny Stutzman, he specifically talked about how he wants to be a leader on this defense. And he wants to be a leader in that linebacker room. And I think that's going to be especially important now, more than ever, with TD Roof being out. And we saw it this weekend. Danny was making plays. He was flying all over the place. He did drop an interception. But you know what? At least he just got his hands up there and knocked it down. The hands will come with it eventually. What you think of Danny Stutzman? Uh, Danny Stutzman had one of the plays of the games, in my opinion, with that tackle that he had on the uh, – was it a running back, I think? Yeah. It, well, regard, nevertheless, regardless, it, 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 was a great, it was a great open field tackle. Um, Danny Stutzman, like I said, this defense, I mean, if you go back and watch that play, that interception, it's two things that you saw there. One, you saw him drop the interception. But the second thing was that, oh, well, this is what Venables is saying. If you buy in, if you actually understand the full, like what I'm trying to get you to do on defense, I will put you in position to make a play on the ball every single time. And that's what you saw with a play like that. Now, as great as Danny Stutzman was, I would counter you and say, hey, Aguebu had a hell of a game as well. Aguebu looked really good out there. He was flying around the ball. He looks motivated this year. He, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that he wasn't motivated last year, but he looks motivated this year. And I really feel comfortable with both of those guys out there on the field, field as much as they were. So Danny Stutzman had a uh, had a heck of a day. But I would also say, hey, Aguebu uh, was around the ball an awful lot. Rishi would have got that one tackle, but, I mean, he didn't really have a good angle at that kid. But at the same time, I thought Aguebu played lights out as well. Yeah, no, and the other two players I was really going back and forth with in that spot for Danny Sussman was Aguebu or Deshaun White, right? We got to see mm-hmm. Deshaun White in that cheetah role. You know, he looked really good, but yes, David Aguebu had himself a game. He had seven total tackles. Mm-hmm. He had one sack, one tackle for loss. Like David Aguebu was making a lot of plays, and he was all over the place as well, causing the disruption. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's be honest, if, you know, those three or four or five guys are your constants on the defense this year, and they're out there making plays and they're doing what you need them to do. Like you got a hell of a defense this year. You've got a hell of a team, mm-hmm. especially for the turnaround from what we've had last year and the previous year. And that's saying a lot because mm-hmm. I did feel like at some times last year, the OU defense was pretty good at some times. It was not consistently, mm-hmm. though. Now, it was more yeah. so it was really good on the defensive line with Perrion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Ethan Downs, and those guys. But that's saying a lot. 
this defense has really turned around this year, at least what we've seen so far. And I think especially as we get into Big 12 play, and I keep saying Big 12 play, and I know we got Nebraska, and I know we got Kent State coming up, but I don't think we should expect to see a super complicated game scheme for either of those two teams. Oh, you should be able to go in there and handle their business pretty easily on the both of those. I would say one thing to keep in mind with this team, I I said it on our podcast the other day, but uh, one of the things that you have to take away from this game, in my opinion, is the fact that or two key points. I think a lot of people kind of are overlooking one Dana Demel is a Bill Snyder disciple. So he comes from that coaching tree. So what you saw him do was, in my opinion, it's almost like he abandoned what he really wanted to do. And he said, all right, I'm just going to try to chip away at this defense. I'm going to work the field, which is a great segue into point number two, which is OU, even though we did give up quite a few passing yards or, or, or and whatnot, one of the things that I'm pleased to say about this defense is that they took away um, a, a few of the things that they uh, that UTEP wants to do. UTEP wants to go vertical. They want to get you matched up with their wide receivers because they think their wide receivers are pretty good too. And so they love to go vertical. That quarterback is a really good quarterback. Can't, can't take that away from him. He made some damn good throws that game. I mean, it's not like the defense was, in, it was that bad off. He just made some great throws. But when you take that away and then as you can see, the bubble screens, the the little quick passes, different things like that, the little jailbreak screens I saw it a couple of times. That's what they like to do. I try to break down as much film as I could on them, and I even talked to uh, Adrian Broadus, uh, who's a reporter for them, and he even said the same thing. Yeah, we like to be f- uh, physical, but we like to be finesse as well. And so they were more physical that game because they had to be because the caliber athlete that OU was bringing. So – Again, just to kind of end that point, I just think it's key just to know that, you know, you change their game plan. You force them to run something that they weren't really necessarily wanting to do. You force them to work the field to earn, to get earn those touchdowns, those field goals and all the points that they earn. So with that being said, I think overall, I think this defense played pretty damn well. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to the point that I've said all year with OU Mm -hmm. and expectations. If there's one thing Mm -hmm. OU fans should be happy about, if there's only one thing that can change this year on the defense, it's can the defense go out there and make a tackle, make a good tackle and bring them down? Not Not after they've gotten purpose yards, after they've caught the ball. One thing I noticed was the quarterback would throw the ball, they would get it, they would get maybe a yard, Sometimes they wouldn't get that, and they would have two or three OU guys already on them. And that's something that OU has tremendously missed in years past, and that is something that has cost us so many games and so many opportunities is just being able to go out there and make the tackles, and if you're going to give up a pass, be there to take the guy down right away. And that's something that I noticed that they did all game on Saturday. And I think that if they continue to take that and they continue to work on that all throughout the season, I mean, Oklahoma is going to be a pretty dang good team on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I want to go ahead and I want to talk about the three guys on the offense that I was just super impressed with. Of course, the first one we got to talk about is Dylan Gabriel. And I know a lot of other people might have not been as impressed with Dylan. Uh, I know they might have wanted to see over 300 yards, maybe a couple more touchdowns. But here's the reason why. People got to remember that this man's coming off an injury. 
He's coming off a season where he only played three games. And the other thing is this man's got a little bit of PTSD out there because at UCF, he was sacked 50 times. Now, mind you, he only played three games last year, and he was still sacked 50 times in three years. And so it was nice to be able to see Dylan Gabriel and kind of see what we should expect out of him. And I know as the season goes, he's going to grow and he's going to progress. But it still looked like he knew he knew how to be able to go out there and read coverages and be able to make a pass. Additionally, you know, he completed 65% of his passes. That's, you know, over his career average on a completion percentage and with the talent that we're going to surround Dylan Gabriel with at the wide receiver position. And then not only that in the backfield and the people protecting him, you know, I talked about how he's going to be a potential Heisman candidate this year because he's just going to look really good in this offense from what he had at UCF. And we're going to be able to point to all those statistics. what do you think about Dylan Gabriel's game against UTEP? First quarter was lights out. Rest of the game was it, it was still it was still a decent fairing out there. I, I was I was pleased. I was uh, I was happy with it. He's accurate. He throws a great ball. Sometimes he tries to fit some balls into uh, into some tight windows. I can see that, but I think that he's going to definitely have way more touchdowns than, than interceptions. I think this may be a, a year where he could potentially have a, a really really low amount of a really small amount of, of interceptions. One of the things that I would say about uh, all the, some of the naysayers out there, <laughs> the, the doubters uh, of Dylan Gabriel, I think one of the things you have to look at is the offensive line. We're, we're, we're shuffling guys in different positions right now. I mean, we have Anton Harrison playing at, at, at right tackle where Wanya Morris would be, and then we're, you know, Tyler Guyton, and then we're trying to get other guys. And then, I mean, I think Teddy and, and – uh, and, and, or, or excuse me, at the left tackle. But then we have, like, Teddy and um, and Iker we're talking about today. You know, uh, I'm not sure if Matoir is, is, is fully healthy right now, but the – the offensive line, they did not struggle, but at the same time, they didn't have the greatest game as a unit out there. And I think that's fine because it's the first game of the season. And like we even said kind of off camera, hey, a lot of the stuff that we're complaining about is great because it's going on film. It's going to be corrected. And I think we all have that faith in this this coaching staff right here that we're going to make those adjustments and actually get guys out there who are going to do their jobs. So. With that being said, I think that when the uh, when we do get started in Big 12 play, but first game, I think, you know, Nebraska, we got to go up there, you know, firing on all cylinders. I think you're going to see a little bit more wrinkles to the fold and we're not going to be so vanilla. And I think you'll have more options. Um, definitely wanting to see, you know, it was great to see Braden Willis and see uh, uh, Marvin Mills be featured so heavily. It was great. Hell, I mean, it was great to see um Eric Gray get over 100 yards rushing in a game in an OU uniform. That's great. But definitely can't wait for guys like uh, uh, Theo Weiss, Jalil Farouk, um, um, Jaden Gibson, guys like that. Can't wait to see them get more involved in this offense as well and just see what Levy really has in store for us uh, throughout the uh, throughout this season. So, um, But for Dylan Gabriel, man, I thought it was – I thought it was – I'd give him probably – a B minus. Maybe I'm being a little bit overly critical, but I give him a B minus. And I think hell he probably would say that was fair 
simply because he probably expected to have a way bigger game than that. But at the same time, you got to take what the defense is giving you. You know, you got to got to be able to <laughs> to do what you need to do. And, and you can just run the ball. So it was there. So why go away from that? You know, at the end of the day, it's a win. It's the first win on his belt. And I think he's going to go crazy against Kent State, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, no, he's going to have a really big game and he's going to have a really big year. You know, like I said, 2019 and 2020, he had stellar years. He threw a total of 11 interceptions, but went for, I think it was 30 or 63 touchdowns. Um, I mean, that that's pretty good. And Again, in this Oklahoma offense, with all the talent he's going to have around him, he's going to succeed. He's going to be a player to watch, and he's only going to get better throughout the season. Remember, he's coming off an injury. He's going to be a little rusty. He might be practicing. He might be doing all these things. Practicing against your own defense is not the same against going into a game and playing somebody else that is out there to take you out. And uh, I I just thought, I was a little bit impressed. I, I'd agree with you. B minus on that performance, but I think we should see a lot better Dylan Gabriel and Kid State in Nebraska. And then going into the Big 12, I think he'll be probably in full swing. So, yeah. I mean, and, and, and the thing the thing about it is, is that when he's on, he's on. That, hell, the first throw, the first, the first play of the game would have been a touchdown if we would have got the, the proper blocking. But, that I think the third player. So whenever he caught Mills on that, uh, that 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 was a dime right there. I was like, hey, that's an NFL throw because you threw him. Not only did you throw him open, but you threw it in a place where only he could th- only he can catch it. I mean, he he uh, he threw a dime to Mills, and I was like, hey, if he's playing like that. We're gonna be awfully dangerous this year because if the pass game is going like that, it's gonna be hard to stop. But I think, you know, some things we've heard from some Texas fans and from other people is just, hey, can you guys play complimentary football with that fast of a, uh, of a uh, offense? And then also, are you guys going to be pass happy or what? But you saw the balance and you saw them make the adjustment, which is really, really um, encouraging, you know, going forward in this season. But I think I think that he's going to have a hell of a year. Not so – I'm not going to put him in the Heisman race just yet, but I think that if he continues at this pace and he does what he needs to do, I think he'll definitely be in New York at the end of the uh, at the end of this season. Yeah, the Heisman race for quarterbacks is going to be tremendously difficult this year because you've got a lot of quarterbacks throughout college football this year that are NFL talents that are going to compete – for a spot in New York. And so for Dylan Gabriel to go in there and compete this year, he's going to have to play really well every single game. I do want to make a point to your offense playing really fast because I actually thought that was a negative towards the team because I thought that was a negative towards what Lincoln Riley did here at Oklahoma for as long as he did. Because the faster you play, the shorter possession time that you have, the longer your defense has to be out there. And we know that those defensive guys can get tired really quickly, especially on the defensive line. I do think, though, that you're going to see Lebby in the next two games really put a lot of pressure on that running back room and really see what every single one of those guys are made of. Because if we can establish a solid running game and have two or three backs that we know at any point, any given time can go get us a hundred yards. 
when we go into Big 12 play and we maybe need to control the ball and we need to control the clock, that's going to be a major favor in our advantage. That's something that we really, I don't feel like, have been able to do since Joe Mixon and P. Ryan have left. And then at that same time, Joe Mixon and P. Ryan were explosive. They weren't the type of guys that were going to go get you five yards. You go reset. Like they were the kind of guys, like, okay, we're going to go get 10, 15, 20 yards at a time. Uh, so they still made that offense really explosive. Going mm-hmm. into the transition with the running room, Eric Gray was tremendous, but. I had a hard time just giving it to one running back because that whole room played really well. So for my second offensive player, I'm just giving it to the whole running back room because we got to see Eric Gray show us that he can be a first, second, third down running back uh, or first, second, and third down, you know, running back. But then also we saw Marcus major and Gavin Freeman just ball out. Additionally, you saw Javante Barnes, you know, get four carries for 25 yards. And unfortunately, one of his touchdowns was called back due to, I think it was a holding call. But Javante Barnes has got some speed and, you know, he's not going to be an easy guy to bring down. Ultimately, I think OU's in a really good spot with this running back room. You've kind of got a package with Bevel where I think you could kind of, I think Eichert and Lehman talked about this on their podcast, the Oakland Breakdown. I think they talked about it where you're kind of going to have a package again with Bevel where you can bring back kind of that belldozer package on maybe a fourth and one because he's just so big. He's a harder guy to bring down. What would you think about the OU running back room? I thought the OU running back room, I, th- I thought they, I thought the, the run game was great. Uh, uh, that game. One, uh, one thing I will say, <laughs> will say is, uh, my uncle, he was, he called me, he said, Hey, man, somebody has to tell Gray, he has to stop doing that, ju- that juke move. He's got to stop doing the juke move. Um, I think for Gray, what I want to see is just him hit the hole. I mean, I think that there were a couple of times where there was like two or three yards that he could have picked up, possibly got the first down. You know, he was just dancing a little bit. I think, you know, going back to Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, what was really the biggest difference between those two? Trey Sermon's danced a little bit too much behind the line. He didn't hit the hole like he like Kennedy Brooks would. Kennedy Brooks was one cut, boom, I'm out there, right? So um, you want to see Gray improve over the over the year with that, maybe not so many jukes and just kind of, you know, put his head down. Mark Marcus Majors. I like Marcus Majors a lot. It, it's hard because you heard some rumblings uh, within the fan base of some people saying, hey, maybe Marcus Majors needs to be the feature back. And then, you know, Gray can be that change of pace back. But I think that what Gray is trying to prove this year, and I think what he's going to do this year is show that he's a every down back. And I, I'm kind of alluding to your point. Uh, but as far as what I saw from those two, I'm definitely encouraged um, from the, 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 the the portion of the game that we got to see uh, Javante Borns, you can you can uh, you can tell it's obvious he is probably the most complete back on the team, but that's potential wise. He has a higher upside than, than probably everybody, and we haven't even seen, seen Gavin Sawchuck, right? So, with that being said, I, I I'm I'm pretty impressed thus far. Uh, just want to see some of those things. You know, tighten up some of the mechanics and just see those first downs and just see us be, be even more physical these next few games with Kent State and Nebraska. But definitely was happy with the with the running back room. Yeah, and I feel like the running back room has a lot of depth this year. And if Lebby mm-hmm. really plays it right, you can play your freshmen's 
probably a significant amount of time this year, but still only play them four games and give them their red shirt. Because you have three of them you can swap out. Mm-hmm. And with how with how oh I'm sorry to cut you off, bro. Go ahead. You're good. No, you're good. Uh, I was just gonna say with Sawchuck speed, some some games, some teams you play, you're gonna need the speed. But with Javante Barnes, some teams you're gonna need what Javante Barnes brings in terms of a player that maybe he doesn't have the speed that Sawchuck has, but he's gonna be a harder guy to bring down and he's gonna be a little bit more of a power runner. He's gonna be able to go in there and yeah. knock a guy off of him, which is what we saw Gavin Friedman do, but Gavin Freeman's with, a completely different uh, story. So with with um, Levy's system, how Levy runs, his variant of the system, uh, he definitely wants to use as many running backs as he can because he wants to get max production. So, you know, if you're talented at from, you know, because that, that was <laughs> that was that's what's funny is that you're down to your third string running back and you're like, damn, this this guy still has that go as well. You know, so. Um, I'm sure that we will see an awful lot of them. I'm sure we'll see some more packages as well. It's going to be interesting to see how this all shapes out because I think for this 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 year, especially these first five weeks or so, I think that it's going to be key just for, for OU fans to be a bit patient to understand that this is a week-to-week building block for us until we get to um, Texas, right? Because – uh, Nebraska, then K-State at home, and then we go on the road to TCU. And so all three teams, however you feel about them, they have somewhat improved this year. You know what I'm saying? So these are all going to be great tests for us uh, going into the Red River game and then and then beyond. So definitely be patient because it's going to be a week-to-week thing and you're going to see a lot of different stuff that you may may love, that you may like, and that you may not like. So, yeah. yeah. And this is the time to test it out. When you're playing teams that you can just out-talent, even with you know your fourth or fifth running backs, you have to try different stuff out before you get into the, get the more important games and you necessarily can't. Because I think OU fans have got to remember, there's, I think, three guys that you guys did not see. Todd Hudson, Jaden Knowles, Gavin Sawchuk, and Batavius Thompson. They're, okay, so four guys. There's four guys on the running back room that we did not see on Saturday that maybe we get to see next week. And, again, we've heard a lot about uh, great things about Sawchuk. And Jaden Knowles was here last year. And, you know, Jaden Knowles maybe isn't the most dominant running back in this room, but he can still put up some production for you when you need it, when you need to give somebody else some rest. So, and Tawi Walker, we saw a little bit out of him, but I want to see more out of him because he does. He gives me a little bit of Ramondre Stevenson vibes as a guy that can just go in there and pound the ball when you need him to go pound it. You think he, you don't, you don't think he's a poor man's, uh, uh, P Ryan. He could be a poor man's P Ryan too. He's big. Uh, Tommy Walker's yeah. big. He might be the biggest running yeah. back in that room. Like that, that's why I'm saying like he and and now that you say it, he, he kind of does give me some P Ryan vibes too. But Ramondre Stevenson being the most recent, that's I mean he he just he thinks of that guy like you get down the goal line, you need four or five yards. He's going to be that guy that you can just put in there, and he's going to be able to go get it for you. Yeah. 
So the last player I had on the offensive side of the ball that I was just super impressed with, and it's a player that necessarily we haven't paid, or at least I haven't paid a lot of attention to over the past couple of years, and it is Braden Willis. That man was doing everything out there they needed him to. He was out there catching touchdown passes. You know, he was out there blocking. Like, he, he was just a disturbance for the defense. And he's kind of playing that role, and I know they talked about it on their podcast, but he's playing a role like Jeremiah Hall had. And that was kind of an area that I was very unsure about. Having Braden Willis here, I'm like, well, I haven't really paid attention to this kid much since he's been at Oklahoma, so I don't know what he's about. Yes, on Saturday, he impressed me. I think he impressed a lot of people, especially with his blocking ability. What would you think about Braden Willis? Man, it's more of the same. I mean, he's been consistent this entire time, I believe. When he's healthy and when he's able to go, he's a difference maker. Uh, him, He and Jeremiah Hall, you saw, you saw them both do this last year an awful lot. So it's nothing really new. It's just, hey, he's actually being featured this time. And I think that he has all those skills. I remember whenever he was uh, – when he committed to OU, um, I watched some of his film, and I thought – I was like, hmm. I was like, this could be interesting. You know, I was like, is he really going to play tight end or was he what is he coming in as? You know, but he was all over the field. He was doing everything. He was Mr. Everything for his team. But um, I don't think that he's a pleasant surprise. I think he's pleasantly consistent in doing exactly what he needs to do. I'm just ready to see some of the uh, the, the big explosive plays that they've said that he's been making throughout camp and and just see him kind of. uh put some more stuff on film. I, I think that he's going to have a hell of a year this year. Um, Daniel Parker didn't play that game, but I'm eager to see what he has as well. Um, the entire tight end room, I'm excited to see all of them. I want to see Caden Helms. I want to see uh, Lelevin. I, I want to see them all because I think that they all could, could bring different variants to this offense that could be key for us at that position. So um, the way, way Braden Willis was utilized or used, excuse me, used in that game, um, kind of reminds you of kind of like the H-back. He was lined up in, in similar positions or whatnot, and some of his touchdowns came off of that, kind of just a little bit of deception, a little RPO, and he popped open. He got his touchdowns, and, I mean, it, it just, like I said, it wasn't a pleasant surprise. It was pleasantly consistent. And that's what you want from a position like that, especially from an upperclassman, a senior, a leader on your team. You want somebody that you know Day in and day out, I know this is what I'm going to get from him, and I can count on him to, to uh, not only get get touchdowns, but also block, especially in a way when you saw Friedman get his touchdown. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy. He blocked like three or four guys on that play, uh, helping Friedman, you know, kind of <laughs> get that touchdown. So definitely happy with what I saw from Brady Willis, and I just hope it continues to, uh, for the rest of the year, and I hope he can show that. Not only is he going to be consistent, but he's also elevated his game as well. Yeah, so do you think he can potentially play that role that Jeremiah Hall played and maybe even potentially play a little bit of fullback at all? Because, I mean, that kind of room is pretty deep, so I think he could potentially do it. My whole thing about uh, with, with Braden Willis, Braden, I think Braden Willis is taller than Jeremiah Hall. He's more, I think, and honestly, I'm be real with you. I think he's more athletic than Je- Jeremiah Hall. Either that, or he's more limber. So he he's he he's an athlete, and I think that he he has been raw for quite some time. I don't think that he ever. I, I'm not sure if Lincoln. Well, I can't really say that because he he 
he battled a lot of injuries as well. So I think this year, barring any injuries, I think you'll see the best version of Braden Willis. And I think you'll see that he could be used just like Jeremiah Hall. However, I think that he does have a future as a tight end um, at, at some somewhere on some roster. Yeah, the uh, when 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 Jeremiah Hall got drafted, that was one of the biggest pieces that I thought OU lost to their team because Jeremiah Hall was just kind of consistent when he was here at Oklahoma. Like statistically, like he was a guy that I feel like you could rely on either in the running game or the passing game, and so um, I, I I think Braden Willis is going to be a perfect fit for the absence of Jeremiah Hall this year. So yeah. other than that, I now that I've slept on it, now I've thought about it, I'm pretty impressed with what OU was able to put out there in terms of just having a very vanilla scheme. Um, I would still probably only give them a B plus because I really felt like they could have just been a little bit more explosive on offense outside of the first quarter. Um, and I would really like to see, you know, maybe not next week, but when we get to Nebraska is can OU control the ball? Can they control the clock and maybe get their defense off the field a little bit longer uh, so that they're not, you know, potentially wearing out. Cause when you start to play the Alabama's and the Ohio States of the world, you can't be having an 18 or 13 minute possession time. Uh, that'll, that'll just kill you. And that's how you get beat. So other than that, I thought Oklahoma played pretty well. I mean, you know, we've talked about it in our group chat. Um, the fans, in terms of energy, they really need to uh, improve on that and bring that. Um, I know Utah and Florida played in the evening, so that one's kind of a hard uh, comparison to bring up. But uh, the fans, they did show up at the beginning, and they were there through the first quarter. Um, the students, I don't think, really have an excuse. They're younger. They can drink some water. <laughs> they can stay That's out there. They, they don't need to drink the beer there, till man. after. It's 100 degrees out there, man. Give them a break. People were passing out. But no, I, I get what you're saying, though. It kind of it was, it, it kind of seemed like it was dead for a sec. But at the same time, it's hard to compare that to the Florida game because the Florida and Utah game just it meant more at, at that point in time. I mean, it's game one. Everybody's juiced up about Billy Napier, uh, about Coach uh, Napier. Anthony Richardson played out of his mind. That game was back and forth for the longest. At one point, I thought Utah was just like about to, you know, blow the brakes off of them, but kept battling, kept battling, and you got that, you got that, that, that upset victory. But at the same time, no, I, I think we'll be fine. Um, hopefully, everything will be in line when uh, as the season go goes on. I'll definitely be there for the K State game, so I'm hoping that everybody brings the noise there because I want to rattle the hell out of. Uh, out of Adrian Martinez once again. <laughs> Definitely see our boys be victorious. But, no, I mean, all in all, PG, man, it was a great outing. Great to see the the, the product on the field. Although it was extremely vanilla, that's fine. We can add Oreos or whatever toppings you want to add to that to that ice cream cone. You can add it later. So, at this point in time, I'm just, I'm just happy with what I saw. I'm just happy football is back, man. Yeah. Especially OU football. Yeah, no, I'm happy to have it back as well. This week has just been an incredible slate of games, even with Oregon getting blown out. It's just been an incredible slate of games. And, you know, these I, – I, I don't – I know a lot of people out there talking about it. I don't think the college football playoffs is going to devalue any of these games because they still have to be played, and they're still going to matter at some level. But I think 
talking about the fans in Oklahoma, I think when we get to the SEC, I think maybe ESPN and CBS and the SEC will potentially see that, hey, Oklahoma is a really hot place to play in September. And if we're going to give them three or four games in September, they need to be probably night games or we just need to give them less games in September so that they're not out there dying. So, but ultimately, if the fans could just bring better energy as we get into Big 12 play, and by energy, I mean getting loud, uh, being really involved, um, I think that will be just a huge improvement from them. And I think that potentially helps the team out going forward. So, I feel that. I agree. I think interesting because Oklahoma State, you could argue, is coming off not one of their best years, but could be their best year ever in the history of that program, especially with going to the Big 12 championship game. Now, they did come up short to Baylor by one yard by just a couple inches and reaching the ball. But there's a lot of questions around this Oklahoma State team, especially with Jim Knowles leaving to go to Oklahoma State. And we just talked about the impact that Jim Knowles had on that Ohio State defense. Oklahoma State struggled a little bit early out of the gate. They scored with 10 minutes and 9 seconds left in the game, so 7 nothing. Central Michigan came back, made it 7-7, but Oklahoma State didn't score again until it was a safety with 55 seconds left in the game to make it 9-7. Additionally, right at the end of that game, Spencer Sanders had a 17-touchdown run to make it 16-7. So it started to look like they were getting it together. However, though, in the second quarter, Oklahoma State's offense became explosive. Four touchdowns at halftime. It was a 44-15 to 15 game. However, in the second half, it was all Central Michigan. Four touchdowns by Central Michigan to Oklahoma State's only two. And Oklahoma State gave up a pretty big lead there to only win the game 58-44. to 44. Now, my biggest concern for Oklahoma State is not at their defensive line. In fact, I think Oklahoma State will probably have one of the best defensive lines in college football this year. One of the biggest questions that I have around Oklahoma State and what they're going to be able to potentially bring to us this year is their secondary and how they're going to be able to defend the passing game. They let a quarterback, Daniel Richardson, from Central Michigan throw 36 times on them. 36 of 49 for 424 yards. He threw more passes and had more passing yards than Spencer Sanders, who, mind you, a lot of people are high on Spencer Sanders. I'm not necessarily high on Spencer Sanders. I think a lot of OU fans and a lot of Big 12 folks are not just because, you know, we see Spencer Sanders every year and we know Spencer Sanders makes mistakes. If Spencer Sanders can hone in those mistakes and be a little bit more uh, controlled with not necessarily having to take everything on his feet, which this year I think was going to be a little bit hard with Oklahoma State's running game being so what looks like is going to be so bad, then maybe he could be better. I don't know. All I know is 
the passing game, I think, is going to be a concern for Oklahoma State. I don't think they're going to necessarily have a huge issue in the running game. They did allow 122 rushing yards, but I think Oklahoma State is going to be having an elite defense defensive line this year. Additionally, we got to talk about West Virginia versus Pitt. This was an incredible game on Thursday night. This was a great way to kick off the college football season as Pitt won this game 38-31. to But the scoreboard does not talk about how physical this game was and just the back and forth. Because at one point in this game, West Virginia had a seven-point lead and within 30 seconds lost it because Pitt got a touchdown and then JT Daniels came out and threw a pick six. And ultimately, that was the turning point of this game because West Virginia did not come back out and score. There is a lot of bright side on both sides of the ball here. You got to see two former USC quarterbacks duke it out, and you saw a lot of talent on the field from the both of them, right? JT Daniels in West Virginia, they're going to have a year, especially with Ford Wheaton out there. JT Daniels has got lots of weapons. Additionally, Keaton Slovis showed us, hey, just because we lost Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, don't count Pitt out because we also have a great defense as well. And so there's a lot of questions, I think, around here to, hey, is Pitt going to be able to compete for an ACC championship this year with what I think a lot of people are expecting Clemson to be back, which watching the Clemson game right now, Georgia Tech's got the ball, second and 18. We're going to see how this one turns out. I expect Georgia Clemson to win this. They're not going to make it into this video tonight. However, if anything ridiculous happens with Georgia Tech winning this game, we will give you an instant reaction to it. All right, next game on this list that we have to talk about is actually one of the games that I had as my games of the week and actually one of my locks, and it is Houston versus UTSA. Now, this game was 37 to 35 in three overtimes. And UTSA literally gave Houston more than they ever would have wanted from UTSA. Mind you, UTSA was a team last year that was being discredited because they didn't play in a Power Five conference and their schedule was a little bit weak, which I think is unfair. They were 11 and 0 until they lost to North Texas 45 to 23 and then ultimately lost to San Diego in the in the Tropical Smoothie Frisco Bowl. What's up with all these bowl games? There's too many of them. It seems like we're just making them up at this point. But they had an incredible season at 12 and 2 and they are topping off that incredible season again by giving number 24 Houston all that they could have wanted. I told you guys the line was at 4 and I told you UTSA was going to at least cover here, potentially even win. I said, this upset waiting to happen. And my goodness, if it wasn't for some late game heroics by Houston, it was going to be an upset. And I feel like it would have probably been one of the biggest upsets of the season because this is a team that Dana Holgerson has been waiting on from Houston. And a lot of people have some high expectations around Dana Holgerson and what they Houston are going to be able to put out this year. 
UTSA, keep it up. Everybody needs to watch out for UTSA in the coming years. This is not a team that you are going to want to schedule in week one. They have a pretty tough schedule coming up this year. You got to go at Army, and then you've got to go at Texas. My goodness, if they can go at Texas and win that game, one, just the memes around Texas is going to be incredible. But two, that's going to be a program-defining win for UTSA. All right, next up on this game is another game that I had as my game as my other game of the week, North Carolina and Appalachian State. And I had this for a lot of reasons because Florida State or North Carolina really struggled with FMAU. And they allowed a lot of points. And Appalachian State ain't no joke. They were returning a lot, a lot of production between Chase Bryce and some of the receivers and running backs that they had coming back. They are not a team, again, that you want to schedule early in your season even later, because we've seen what they did with Michigan and a lot, what a lot of people call the upset of the century. And this was a really, really fun game when it came down to it. At one point, Appalachian State was up 21-7, but it was kind of back and forth up until North Carolina kind of just went on a tear, scored four straight touchdowns, kicked two field goals. They were up 41-21. It looked like Appalachian State was kind of out of it. However, Appalachian State came back and scored six touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Six touchdowns. Let me repeat that again. Six touchdowns. That's a lot. And the ending to that game is exactly why we love college football. Appalachian State scores 28-yard pass from Chase Bryce to Deshaun Davis. Makes it 56-55 after they failed a two-point conversion. Then they kick an onside kick. North Carolina recovers, and instead of going down with it, where they could have taken control of the game and ended it there, Bryson Nesbis, I hope I said his last name right, runs a 43-yard onside kickoff return for a touchdown to make it 63-55, giving the ball back with 28 seconds left to Appalachian State. And as we saw in the UTSA game, where they only had like 24 seconds to go down there and score, Magical things can happen. Chase Bryce hit Caden Robinson for a 26-yard pass to make it 63-61. to And Appalachian State was this close to coming back and winning it. And one thing that we can take away from this game is Appalachian State is really good. But additionally, North Carolina has no defense and going into the ACC playing that's going to be really tough for them are they going to be able to come out and win those games in the ACC that they're going to have to be able to win to not only be able to just go out there and out recruit teams like Clemson and NC State and you know that are putting up decent recruiting classes I say decent Clemson's putting up a great recruiting class but there's a lot of ACC teams that are putting up decent recruiting classes but are they going to be able to go out there and compete year in, year out? That's what you brought Mac Brown in for. 
And it doesn't look like he's going to be able to get the job done yet again. Another game that I found really interesting and actually I think is a huge turning point of to what we are going to be seeing come from this program is the Kansas Jayhawks winning 56 to 10 over Tennessee Tech. And I get it. It's Tennessee Tech. And it's not necessarily the stats that Kansas put up, but it's the Lance Leupold effect for Kansas. That stadium was packed for that game. And that's not something that we have seen from a Kansas Jayhawks football team in a long, long time. And so for them to be able to go out there and pack the stadium, and for them to be able to come out there and bring energy for their team and some excitement around that program, that tells you what Lance Leipold's building out there. And yes, Kansas might not go win a lot of games this year. I'm not calling it and saying they're going to go make a bowl game. But they might go out there and cause some ruckus. They still have to go to at Houston. What if they win that game? What if? They still have to play Duke. You still have to play Iowa State, who lost a lot. There's a chance for them in that game. Or TCU. There is chances for Kansas to really help revitalize their program. And I think this game was a huge stepping point in that direction. Additionally, you scored six rushing touchdowns in this game. So... I don't know how strong Kansas's running game is. I'm not going to act like I know a ton about Kansas, but you're returning a quarterback in Jason Bean, and it looks like you've got a really solid running back room. So I am really curious to see what we're going to get out of the Kansas Jayhawks this year, and Lance Leipold has that program going in the right direction. All right, another game we got to talk about, Oregon versus Georgia, which it was a home game for Georgia. So don't let folks tell you that it wasn't and that it was a neutral site game. I mean, yes, it was a neutral site game. It wasn't at Georgia's home, but it was in Atlanta. But ultimately, Georgia won this game 49 to 3 and probably one of the most, probably one of the best plays we're going to see this season from a guy named Darnell Washington. Plays number zero, plays tight end for Georgia. He is 6'7", 270 pounds. And let me tell you, this man hurdled a defender like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. And Georgia is picking back up where they left off last season, looking dominant. However, the question still lies, can Stetson Bennett make the throws and make the plays when it matters the most against some of those strong SEC teams like Alabama. I guess we have to give him the benefit of the doubt because he won the national championship for him last year and beat out a guy like JT Daniels. But Georgia's still the number one team in the country. I know a lot of other people didn't. This was my top 25 list that I didn't get to post because I didn't have my graphic ready. But I had Georgia at number one and Alabama at number two, where a lot of people had Alabama at number one. Georgia won the national championship last year, folks. They get a chance to defend their national championship title as the number one team in the country. All right. Next up on this list, we have to talk about one of the most shocking upsets of the weekend – and a huge step in the right direction 
for a program and a first time head coach gets, well, not a first time head coach, a first time coach for the Florida Gators gets his first win and Billy Napier and probably again, another one of the most spectacular plays that we're going to see this season where Anthony Richardson gave a pump fake for a touchdown. Like that play, if you guys haven't seen it, go ahead to my Twitter. I went and retweeted it recently. It was an incredible play. Florida. What are they going to be? I don't know exactly yet. Like, I don't know if you can tell from playing Utah, even though we all expect a lot of Utah. And we all talk about Utah as a highly regarded team. And as a lot of people had Utah in their final four this year. Anthony Richardson looked okay. I would give him a B grade. He went 17 to 24 for 168 yards. He did have 11 carries for 106 yards rushing, but it kind of concerns me that your quarterback is your leading rusher on your team, especially when you have guys like Montrell Johnson Jr. and Trevor Etienne, who is the brother of Travis Etienne, who, at, if you guys remember, at Clemson just dominated. Additionally, Cameron Rising looked pretty good, going 22 of 32. 216 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Man, Utah just got unlucky break having to go to the swamp and play Florida. I still think Utah's going to be a pretty good team. This will probably be their only loss of the season. They're probably going to go win the Pac-12 championship. You heard me. I don't think USC is beating Utah. And talking about USC, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about Tebow, Milshu, whatever you want to call him. And we got to talk about the performance that they put up against Rice because Rice was moving the ball against USC. USC just got, what was it, three pick sixes in that game? Which I don't know if you can necessarily say that they're good because they got three pick sixes. Like, I want to see what that Alex Grinch defense and everybody else are going to do throughout the season because we saw it at Oklahoma and they just weren't ever able to put it together. Latrell McCletchen looked pretty good. Got one tackle, one sack, one, you know, one tackle for loss. But I think the shiny point for USC is Caleb Williams. 19 to 22, 249 yards, two touchdowns. Additionally, Miller Moss came in behind him, went six of seven, 81 yards. But again, you're playing Rice. So what can we really expect to see from you? Like, we expect you to beat Rice. Because even though Rice is can be a competitive team, they're not always the best team in the best competition that you can play. So it's going to be interesting to see how USC takes a 66-14 to 14 win over Rice and uses it as momentum to go through the season. You definitely saw it, and I was talking to Chris with the Horns Down podcast earlier, but you definitely saw it. Lincoln Riley had opened up the playbook. You definitely saw him to be a little bit more motivated in this game than he was last year, which is going to piss a lot of OU fans off. But it's the sad, honest truth. Additionally, just a couple other games we got to talk about. Arizona 
at San Diego State. They won 38-20. to It's a big step for that Arizona program. BYU beat UC, USF 50-21. to And Nebraska. Nebraska won 38-17. And you might go, man, they won. Well, hold on here. Because let's talk about this one. For a while, that game was too close for comfort for Nebraska. Going into the second quarter at halftime, it was 7-7. to In the third quarter, you saw Nebraska start to pull away, and then you saw North Dakota come back, and then you saw Nebraska score, and then they finally pulled away 38-17. The question here is, can Scott Frost stop calling plays and let Mark Whipple do his job? Casey Thompson looked okay. He threw two touchdowns but had an interception. You've got to be able to get Casey Thompson in more positions to where he can throw the ball around to, whether it's Trey Palmer or Marcus Washington or Alante Brown. Additionally, you got to get Anthony Grant the ball. Man, that dude is a dog. He is a great running back, and he is going to be able to be a star for this Nebraska team if you can develop more plays for him. The question still looms. Will Scott Frost be here by the end of the year? We know we ain't going to get fired till at least October 1st. And at least they put out a little bit better of a performance than what they did against Northwestern. But the question is, can Scott Frost stay out of his own way? Alabama won 55 nothing. No surprise there. You saw Michigan go in there and dominate 51 to 7 against Colorado State and you saw Baylor go win 69 to 10 with Blake Shapin going 17 of 20 214 yards for two touchdowns and remember there's a lot of questions around this Baylor team and did Dave Aranda make the right call with letting the other quarterback transfer out saying that Blake Shapin was going to be a starter that early. But Blake Shapin showed a lot to us this weekend. And even though it was against Albany, I'm still impressed. Baylor still has a lot of opportunity. They still have to go to at BYU next week. So it's a little bit tougher of a test. Then you got an easy one with Texas State before you get into Big 12 play with at Iowa State. Can Baylor go in there and defend their Big 12 title this year? Or are they going to struggle and potentially let the Oklahoma Sooners go in there and reclaim their supremacy of the Big 12 before they leave the Big 12. Go ahead and let me know what you guys think in the comments below. What was your guys' favorite game for week one? If you guys haven't already, go ahead and go follow the podcast on any of the major podcast plat platforms, Apple, Spotify, or Google. You can find me at the PG Show, all one word. Let me know what game you guys are excited to see in week two.